Thanks for listening to another leadership podcast from Pastor Jurgen and the team here at C3 San Diego. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Good morning, everyone. How many people are awake this morning? A few of you. I just got to say, uh, you know, you can tell a lot uh, about where a person's at by their language. Did you know that? Do you know the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can tell what's in a person's heart by the words that come out of their mouth. You can tell what God's done. You can tell the temperature of somebody's heart by the words that come out of the mouth. And uh, I've got to tell you, uh, Pastor Matt, wow. You, you, I'm telling you, man, you have, you have grown. Like you are speaking faith and strength and leadership and clarity all morning. So sometimes I don't think we, we realize. Um, how many people here uh, use a mirror, need a mirror to do their hair or brush their teeth in the morning? Anybody? So, you know, so we wouldn't, we would, we know that we can't present ourselves to our very, very best unless we have a mirror giving us feedback on, oh, okay, there's a hair out of place or there's one sticking up there or whatever. I've put my mascara on wrong. I hate when I do that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we use mirrors in, in, you know, to present ourselves in the same way. That's what, that's really what the church community is. It's, it's you and I as mirrors reflecting, you know, giving feedback, strengthening. And uh, that's what the, the community of, you know, the church is meant to, meant to be like. And so, you know, for, for Matt, because when you're going through something, you're just focused on going through something, you know, you don't even realize God's just zeroing in on this, pushing on this, and you don't see anything else but that thing. And then it's actually really good to hear, wow, you know, man, I've, I've noticed a shift in you. I've noticed a change. I've needed, and sometimes we just need that mirror. So encouragement is one of the greatest mirrors that, um, you know, that you can have. And, and encouragement's different to flattery. Flattery is just saying nice things to try and bamboozle someone to get something from them. Encouragement is actually uh, letting them know that you see a really great quality or a really great attribute that you want to, uh, to highlight. And uh, we all need encouragement. We live in a discouraging world, so it's good to get encouragement. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come with me. I'm going to be bouncing all over the show this morning. And, uh, you know, I know that we're putting this one out on, uh, are we podcasting this or live streaming this or whatever? Can I just say this? There seems to be Chinese whispers happening. I only want to do this once a month. I don't want to do it every week. I only want to do it once a month that we send this to everybody else. I'm not here to feed everybody else. I'm here to feed this group. Once a month, they can have a little little snippet, but this is for for you guys. So just so, so I've said it. No Chinese whispers, didn't say every week, didn't say twice a week, once a month, once a month, once per month, once a month. Okay, Psalm 42, Psalm 42, you guys doing good? Isaac, how many sleeps? 71 sleeps. All right, Psalm 42, you guys there? says in verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then it goes on. Uh, I just kind of really felt to, to just uh, zero in on this. And 
talk to you a little bit this morning about leadership and the weight of leadership. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, psalm. It's the contemplations of Korah, but uh, many Bible scholars attribute the psalm to David. Um, and there, there's a couple of different versions of how David wrote these words. Um, leadership, you will find, has, has a number of things synonymous with it. Every coin that may have a head on one side has tails on the other side. So you'll find that the, the, you know, the, the privilege of uh, authority is the burden of responsibility. The privilege of authority is the burden of responsibility. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus kind of teaches this. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure buried in a field. For joy over it, he hides it again, sells everything that he has, and then he goes and purchases the field. His interest was never in the field. His desire was for the treasure. But he understands that for him to uh, obtain the pleasure of the treasure, he must assume the responsibility of the field. Because pleasure and responsibility go hand in hand. When, when pleasure and responsibility are divorced, when we have pleasure without responsibility, we have the chaos that, that we see happening in our community. Unwanted pregnancies, STDs, abuse, you know, molestation. Because we, but when we have pleasure and responsibility. And so uh, you, you're here because the Holy Ghost would have seated on the inside of you. Uh, a desire. Hey, there's some seats down the front here, guys, if you guys want to come down. Is that Pastor Bob Harrison? Pastor, can we welcome Pastor Bob Harrison? It's great to have you here. Ash, come and sit down. You're making the place look untidy. Get down here. <clears throat> great to have you here, Pastor Bob. What a, what a wonderful man of God you are. God bless you. And uh, that's my, my 19-year-old son. So just keep an eye on your wallet while you're sitting with him. <laughs> Not true at all. Keep an eye on your purse. <laughs> Amen. So, so how many people here have a desire and aspiration to do something for God? You know, have a desire for greatness. Can I just tell you that that's one side of the coin. To, to have that, you've got, to, you've got to understand the other side. And today I just want to talk about, you know, just some of the, the other side so that they don't sneak up and kind of bite you in the butt. Man, I didn't realize that. Man, I had no idea that, uh, I, you know, and I found that the Holy Spirit always shows me, you know, a, a beautiful picture. And then he goes to work and I'm like, you never showed me that in the picture. And it's like, yeah, because if I did, you probably wouldn't have reached for it. <laughs> Sneaky. And uh, so Psalm 42, uh, as the deer pants for the water brook. So what, one of the versions goes like this. David's sitting in his house very early in the morning. Because of his creative mind, he, you know, he, sleep doesn't, he's not a great sleeper. And he's up really, really early. And he looks down and it's, the fog is just beginning to lift. And he sees a stag. And the stag, the, the steam is coming out of the nostrils very early in the morning. And uh, he can see it following and, it's, and he can see that it's panting. Because underneath the, the ground are all the canals, there's all the, the waterways. And it can, scent, it, can, it can pick up the scent of the water. It can smell the water, but it just can't get to the water. And so it's kind of following it. And uh, you know, that's one, one of the versions that David is writing this as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. That sometimes, you know, it's like I, I just need to touch God, I just need to worship God, but I can't, I can't seem to break through, I can't seem to get it. The other, the other one, my favorite, favorite one is 
again, David is, is out and about and he sees the deer. And, uh, and it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a male stag. And uh, what a male stag will do with its little family or the little herd of, of deer, when a, when a predator comes, whether it's a lion or a wolf or a bear, whatever, when a, when a predator comes to try and take uh, maybe the, one of the younglings or one of the older ones, the stag, who's like the alpha male, will do something very interesting that they will run down the river, run down the water, and he will send the herd over ahead of him, and then he will begin to stomp furiously. He'll begin to stomp furiously, working himself into a frenzy, working himself into a sweat, so that whether it's a lion, whether it's a wolf, whether it's a bear, that his sense so increases that it now shifts its focus just onto him to spare the flock, to spare the herd. And then what the, what the deer will do is he will, he will then run and dart and he will find a place where he will then launch into the river. He'll launch into the water brooks. And what he does is he goes under and he walks till just his nose is just above the running water where he can breathe and he will wait there till danger is passed. And, you know, the lion or whatever will, will be walking alongside, wondering where he crossed. Meanwhile, the herd have, have uh, escaped to safety. And so David is, is kind of, you know, riding here and just, just seeing the burden of leadership and, and the need for God. And, uh, and so I want to talk to you today a little bit about, you know, the, the, the weight that comes with the, the power, the weight that comes with the position, the weight that comes with the responsibility. Jesus in John 12, 24 says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will remain a single seed. But if that grain of wheat, if that kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. Now, how many people want to bear much fruit? Before the bearing of fruit, there's the falling to the ground, humility. And then there's the dying, which nobody really wants to do. You know, there's an old song, everyone wants to go to heaven, just no one wants to die to get there. And uh, uh, so, so there's a dying. And I say this because we've got, you know, brand new interns and, uh, and maybe some of you that, that, you know, you're in your second year. This is just a good reminder that God is a God of process. In Jeremiah 18, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And he says, the word of the Lord came to me. I went down to the potter's house and I looked and I saw, and there was pottery and it was marred in the Lord's hand. So he made it into another vessel. And then the word of the Lord came to me, you know, saying, Jeremiah, you know, this is the, 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 peop- uh, the house of Israel. Can I not do this with, with the people? So God is a God of always processing. God is a God of processing. I think he first captures our hearts with a dream. He captures our hearts with vision. Vision is very important. We just had Vision Sunday, and I certainly hope that you wrote vision down. I certainly hope you wrote down a dream, a goal, because you will find that God is going to meet you on that dream. Genesis 37 tells us that Joseph dreamed a dream. He dreamed a dream and he shared it with his brothers and they kind of mocked him. And he says, there we were binding sheaves in the field. And, uh, you know, and all your sheaves began to bow down to my sheaf and, and they hated him. And then, you know, the Bible says, and he dreamed again. And this time the sun, moon and stars bowed down to him. So he shared the dream with his, with his brothers and his mama and papa. And, uh, and his dad rebuked him saying, son, for goodness sake, will your mother and I really bow down before you? You know, what is this stupid dream? But, but Joseph has a dream. He's 17 years of age and he has a dream. You'll find that God has a process. God is always processing you and I. Uh, and the way that he processes us is the first thing that he does is, is he reveals. Reveals is the fun part. 
Reveals is where, man, I just feel like God is going to use me. Like God, there's a call of God on my life. I remember when I was, you know, just a young whippersnapper and felt the revelation that God was calling me to go and be a youth pastor. I couldn't wait to be a youth pastor. Called to go to Bible college. I thought, this is awesome. God is calling me. It is going to be fantastic. And I thought that the, the tough part was the revelation. I Now I found that that's the easy part. The easy part is the revelation. God reveals and then the next thing that God does is he reverses. God reveals and then he reverses. Reverses is you're like, hey, whoa, whoa, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. What the jack's going on here? Joseph is 17. He has a dream. The dream is from the Holy Ghost. The dream is from God. Things are bowing down before him. The next minute he's in a pit with his brothers on, above the pit arguing, let's kill him. No, we can't kill him. Let's sell him. Oh, do we have to sell him? And then Ishmaelites come, all right, we'll sell him. We'll make a profit. But we'll tell dad he's dead. And they rip up his, uh, you know, his Technicolor dream coat, put goat's blood on it and tell papa he's dead. And meanwhile, he gets shipped off in chains with the Ishmaelites down to Egypt. So it goes from, from reveals to reversing. God reveals and then God reverses. The reason that he reverses is because now God is going to rebuild. Ultimately, he's going to restore, but, but he's got to reverse and rebuild because reverse basically is, is, is God's beginning to process because Joseph right now at 17 can't enter the dream. He has the dream. God reverses to see whether the dream has you. God reverses the dream just to see how much the dream has you. Are you willing to pay the price for this dream? Is the, dream, is, the, is the dream from God for your life worth whatever pain, whatever rejection, whatever misunderstanding from your family, whatever betrayal, whatever hostilities? whatever persecution you're going to encounter. Because a lot of people want the dream, but they want it with cream puffs and unicorns and lucky charms for breakfast and, you know, fluffed up pillows. And, you know, we want the dream, but we want it with. Whereas God gives the dream and now he's like, uh, here's the dream. Will your heart reach up? Because many are called, but only few are chosen. I honestly believe God is sending his dream out to everybody. But there's a lot of people, well, I want that, but I don't want to really pay the price for it. <laughs> so we want to try and create an internship program where, where you're going to experience the process of God. But, but we want to create an environment, an atmosphere where we've got to tell you, we want to model to you that whatever price you're paying, whatever pathway God is taking you through right now, whatever you're experiencing, it is worth what you're going through because the dream. I, I, I've, yet, I've yet to... I, and God always gets you to pay up front, by the way. God never does anything on, on HP or payment plans or <laughs> a student loan at the end of the, the you know... The degree God always gets you to pay up front, and the other thing that God does is He gets you to pay up front, and then doesn't tell you what you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> All you know is you're flipping forking out. And you're like, oh, well, what? And He's like, I'm not telling. And uh, but I've yet, I've yet, I've yet to get to get uh, after paying out and not feel like I actually shortchanged God. Yeah. At the time, I felt like God, this better be worth it. <laughs> 
holy shnikey, this better be worth it. And then I get there and I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you know, I shortchanged you. You know, I would have paid so much more then. But at the time, at the time, and so, so God, God reveals and then God reverses. And reverses is to see whether, whether the dream has you. To see whether the dream has you. Like, are you buying into the dream? Is, is it the dream at no matter what the cost, no matter what the pain? The reason that God does that is because after the, re, the, the reversing is all part of his rebuilding. So Joseph, the Bible says the brothers were out in the field, Genesis 37, and Joseph brought a negative report to his father. So they were in the field working. He's 17. Oh, what was he doing? Playing, playing, you know, video games? Was he playing Xbox? What, what, what was he doing? You know, he, they're, out, they're out in the field. He's, he's inside the house tattletailing. He's a spoiled, snotty-nosed, where he was the coat of many colors. And so for God to put him in the dream there, it's, it's going to be chaos. He's going to ruin the dream. So God realizes this is the dream that I have for your life, but I've now got to take over because of the dysfunctions from your own family, that your dad is showing favoritism. Can I just tell you, if you have 11 children or 12, don't show, this one's my favorite. I don't understand why the other brothers and sisters don't like him. I can't understand why there's conflict here. Don't show favoritism, for goodness sake. But so God has to take over from the dysfunctions of Jacob and begin to rebuild his principles, rebuild his standards, rebuild his character, rebuild his quality so that Joseph is able to sustain the burden and the weight that comes with the privilege and the power that the dream is showing and revealing that one day this is your calling and one day this is your destiny. So it's an 11 day journey from Egypt into the promised land, 11 days, 40 flipping years later, they're still wandering around in the wilderness. Why? Because they refused or hardened their hearts, made it so difficult for God to be able to put qualities of faith in them. They kept whining and complaining. The reason they whined and complained is because uh, uh, whatever you reward, you get more of. One of the things that we've learned with parenting is... Uh, if, if you give in to your child because they're whining, they're whining at the checkout. I want candy. I just need candy. You have never bought me candy. It's been 24 hours since I've had candy and I just... Just get the flipping candy for crying out loud. Oh, shut up, you know, with the candy. And, uh, and so now they learn, uh-huh. If I want something, all I need to do is complain long enough, whine long enough. But we're not, we're not training our children now how to, how to hear from God. Because I don't know, when I read the book of Numbers, God hates complaining. He hates it more than smoking. And the people complain. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. And the people complains, for the Lord opened up the ground and swallowed them. He hates complaining. <laughs> because complaining is the language of victims. But the children of Israel got out of Egypt because of their complaining. God said to Moses, the cry of the children of Israel has come up to my ears. 
and I have seen the oppression of the taskmasters. I have seen the cruelty of Pharaoh and his team. Behold, I am coming down to deliver them. So, so complaining and whining can get you out of Egypt. It can get you out of doing the dishes. It can get you out of unpacking the dishwasher. It can get you out of... And sometimes it's just easier for mum and dad to do it themselves. So complaining can get you out of, but it can't get you into. It can't get you into the, the, the language required to get them into. God was trying to change their language because complaining is the language of victims. Complaining is the language of losers. Complaining is the language that makes a declaration. My circumstances are bigger than my God. Whenever you're complaining is my circumstances are greater than the power of my God, than the grace of my God, than the benevolence of my God, than the loving kindness of my God. My God is, you know, ignorant of what I'm going through or uncaring or maybe he's just indifferent to what I'm going. But, but, my, my, but, but God, God takes him through a wilderness. Now, he could have taken them through a different journey. They weren't ready for warfare yet, so he didn't take them you know, th through, through the way of the Philistines. So he took them this way. The reason he took them through the wilderness wasn't because he hadn't thought it through. Like, how many people know that in the desert, it's kind of like, well, you know, there's not much water. That's why it's called a desert. It's hot during the day, freezing cold at night. There's no food. There's no, it's not abundant resources. Why would God take him through the desert? Because God knows that when they enter the promised land, what they have to have on the inside of them to take the territory, to take the promises is faith. Is faith. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith chapter. By faith, they slew giants. By faith, they conquered the cities. By faith, they took the territories. By faith, they saw the dead raised back to life. By faith, they saw supernatural provision. By faith, God is trying to put faith on the inside of them. So when they face giants, they don't say, we are not able. They're able to say, their protection has departed. Let us go up at once. If God is pleased with us, we are well able to take the city. We are well able to take this territory. Come on, God's promised it. God was looking to put faith. Faith is the greatest quality you and I can have because the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible. Well, what about if I, you know, uh, really strain at being holy? Will I please God then? No. What if I, what if I don't go to the nightclubs? What if I... What if I don't drink and chew or go with the girls that do? Will that please God? No. No, it won't because it's your righteousness. And the Bible says your righteousness, my righteousness as an offering is like filthy rags before God. The only righteousness that pleases him is the one that Jesus provided on the cross. Everything else falls far, far short. What does please God is faith. God is trying to put faith in you. Faith is walking through a wilderness and the people again are complaining. God is doing this on purpose to show that if you got me, you don't need anything else. Amen. We want to shift our faith to our bank account. We want to shift our faith to the security of our wage, our salary, our income. We, we, you know, if I've got this support, then I can serve God. And God's like, man, you know, I'm your support. He says to Job, he says, who, 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 who holds the earth up? It's kind of suspended in the universe. This is, you know, five and a half thousand years ago, they didn't know, there was no kind of satellites to show, whoa, the earth is just a ball. 
It's not sitting on anything. It's just, you know, who, who, who holds it there? Who suspends it? Who sustains it? Is it not I? Like if God can hold the earth in place, you don't think he can't hold you up? But we want to put our faith, we want to put our trust in everything else. If, if The Bible teaches that, that it's a snare for your faith to be in the hand of man, in the trust of man. That's why one of the things that, that uh, we did, especially in the early, I'm not sure if we still do it, and, uh, but we need to do it. And, uh, but in the early days of our church, we, we knew when Leanne and I came here, there, there, there was no salary. There was no promise of a salary. Andrew Bennett worked at um, the guitar factory for three and a half years before you know, we put him on any level of uh, remuneration. And he worked as a private investigator. <laughs> NDPI. He even had one of those mustaches and used to drive a red Ferrari. <laughs> Lived in Hawaii. <laughs> Magnum. <laughs> when Stacy came on, she went from six figures down to, I think, less than a third of what she was earning. When Pastor Mark and Summer came over, they, they came over and there was, there was no salary. And I, I, I had a salary for summer only. And, uh, and even then I said, you know, I'm only going to pay you four days, but I want you to work for me five. And, uh, and they're like, well, we didn't come for a salary. We didn't come for... There was a price that they were willing to pay because I had to make sure that their trust wasn't in us. We had other people who wanted to come. Oh man, we want to come. We feel God's calling us to serve you. We feel God's calling us to be part of this vision. We feel God. Now let me just talk about salary. We had people where I actually had a salary, but I couldn't tell them that we had a salary. When they, oh, hang on, what do you mean there's no guarantee? Well, if it's God, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. So you're talking about you want to see more miracles, you want to see more breakthroughs, you want to see more healings in your ministry, but you want to come and you want, you want the security of what a man can give you. You're asking for something that requires faith, great faith, but you're not willing to step out in faith so that God can put faith on the inside of you. The greatest thing that God can put in you and I is faith. Jesus says, when I return, will I really find faith in the earth? It's faith, like Myra was praying this morning, that sees a brain tumor shrink in a family member. It's, it's faith. And, and so God loves faith and God wants you and I to have faith. And so he begins to put faith in the journey. And so Joseph is thrown into a pit. Now he's sold into slavery. And uh, then from there, he's, you know, bought by Potiphar and he's taken down to the house and, and he's put in charge of everything in the house. Now he has to learn to be faithful with what belongs to another man. He has to be faithful with another man's household, faithful with another man's goods, even faithful with another man's wife. Because Potiphar goes away on long business trips, comes back with, with uh, lipstick on his collar. Mrs. Potiphar knows that that's just kind of the trend for dignitaries in Egypt. And so she's thinking, well, I've got this, uh, I've got this slave boy. I can do whatever I like with my slave boy. And so she, she tries to seduce him. He'll have none of it till she thinks, I'm not, he's my slave. So she corners him in the house. And he said woman he says your husband has trusted me with everything in this house he says how can i do this sin against god 
and sin against your husband and he fled from the house. It was a test. It was a test. How, how could, could he put God, could he put faithfulness above his own flesh, above his own desire, above his own, you know what I'm saying? He's about 18 years of age. Like he's got a V12 of testosterone under the hood. I, I once heard a preacher say he's got so much testosterone pulsating through his body, he could jumpstart a dead elephant. And yet, and yet, and you need to understand, no one was looking. The Bible says when no one was in the house. And she ain't telling anybody. Do you know, do you know the, the penalty for adultery in Egypt for a woman is death? It's the same today. It was certainly the same thousands of years ago. So she ain't going to tell nobody. This is a little dalliance that'll just be between the two of them. But Joseph knew it wasn't between the two of us because he says, how could I do this in the sight of God? And how could I do this great wickedness against your husband? And the devil always trying to tell you it's just between the two of you. It never is just between the two of you. But God is, God is going to work on Joseph's character because he's going to become the steward of a kingdom that is going to face one of the worst financial crises, one of the worst famines ever to hit the Middle East. And so he's got he's to be accountable with every single cent, with every single dime, every single piece of seed, every single piece of flour that comes in. He's got to have integrity, unscrupulous integrity. So God tests him down here to see whether he can trust him up there. God tests him down here to see whether he can trust him up there. God is always testing and then trusting. And once you're in a trust, get ready because he's going to test. And once you're in the test, God is only testing because he wants to trust with more. We're always either in a test or in a trust. And so God is always trying, trying, trying to do that. And so it's, it's vain for us to put our, our hope or our, or our trust in, in the hands of man or in the, the provision of man. We'd need to be looking to God because like uh, Matt, when he got up here, I felt faith being injected into the, into the meeting as he was leading. And so straight away, I'm listening to his words, but I know that his words are the overflow of his heart. And I know that you, these are not just empty rhetorical words that he's heard on a tape or on a CD or on a podcast. I know that these are words that, that have some weight behind it because something's happened in his heart. You know, what, we, what you and I run from, we, you know, psychologists tell us that uh, a human condition is we avoid pain, but we, we pursue pleasure. We move away from pain and discomfort, but we move towards Towards pleasure and comfort and 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 yet it's in the pain it's it's in the struggle it's in the challenge it's in the difficult the, the place where we don't want to be that God does his greatest work I mean God created the heavens and the earth and the Bible says and the earth was formless and void and darkness covered God does all God does his greatest work the universe was created in the dark so why do you think that it's going to be any different for you and I? God, God quite often in our darkest times, in our darkest seasons, in, in our darkest moments, in our darkest struggles, in our darkest difficulties, and man, when I can't see and I don't know, and that's when God does his finest work. That's when he does his greatest work. But we fear the dark. We run from the dark. We run from the struggle. We run from the difficult. We run from the isolation. The Bible says that John the Baptist was in the deserts 
until the day of his manifestation. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. Why did it come to John in the wilderness? Because the people in the city didn't need faith, but John the Baptist was in a desert crying out to God, and the word of the Lord is attracted to faith like a magnet. And here's a man in a desert with no water, with no shelter, with no... And, and, and so God takes them through the desert, takes the children of Israel through a desert because he wants the word of the Lord to be with them so they can smite every enemy, so they can take every territory, so they can pull down every stronghold. And so God takes them through, through the wilderness, and the Bible says there was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. So during the day when it's hot, God provided shade. In the night when it's, the temperature drops is freezing cold, God is a fire from, they had this 24-7. God, God was leading them. God is leading you. God is leading you. He's revealed to you. You've put your hand up. Man, I'm going to do the internship. I feel God has got a call on my life. Don't be confused. I'm telling you, I'm giving you permission today. Don't be confused when it goes into reverse. God is reversing because he's going to rebuild. And as he rebuilds, get ready. He's going to restore. He's going to restore. But you're now going to be ready. You're now going to be in the place where you can handle... You know, our, our journey, I, I, you know, prayed bold prayers and had great aspirations and desires. And I look back now and I'm like, how on earth does this answer that prayer? I thought that, you know, cream puffs and lollipops would accompany the vision. And God's like, yeah, the vision is grand. But, Jurgs, you better realize I've got to actually do a whole lot of work on you. Your dysfunctions. Our dysfunctions are our ceilings over our life. Your, your giftings set the thermostat of the potential in your life. I've been in ministry 25 years. And in 25 years, this is what I've seen. I've seen people with incredible gifting, incredible anointing, incredible calling fall so far below what could have been because they refuse to deal or allow God to deal with their dysfunctions. That's why we're a discipleship church. Are you a soul winning church? Well, that's part of it. We're actually a discipleship church. You can't disciple if you don't soul win. But Jesus didn't say go into all the world and win souls. He said go into all the world and make disciples. And a discipleship church is there's gotta be there's got to be honest conversation. There's got to be leadership. There's got to be structures. There's got to be people that are holding you accountable. There's got to be people challenging you. David said, let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let my head not refuse it. It is like the precious anointing oil. It is like the precious anointing oil. The anointing oil that elevated him from a little shepherd boy to king of Israel. He says, man, correction and receiving instruction and rebukes is exactly the same. I put it on par with being anointed to be king when I was just a shepherd boy. Every time I've been challenged, every time I've been corrected, every time he says, let my head not refuse. I let the righteous strike me. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Have you got people in your world that you can trust? You'll find that every single uh, intern we've put you with leaders. These leaders are handpicked leaders. These people are faithful people. And you will find that your leaders have leaders over them who are challenging them. 
the saddest place you can be is where you're just doing and there's no one speaking. There's no one observing. There's no one watching. There's no one calling to account. You know, the, the guy with the, uh, uh, the one talent buried it in the ground. Well, what was he doing with his time? Well, you've buried it. Now what are you doing? The other guys with the five and the two, they're, they're watching the stock. They're watching the markets. They're watching the NASDAQ and the Dow Jones. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're working hard. They're cutting deals. They're having lunch. I mean, they're, they're, what's he doing? He's just idle. He's not doing anything. But then the day comes where he has to stand before his master. Imagine if someone was speaking into his life. Imagine if he put himself into a place where he was accountable. Dude, you, what are you doing all day? What do you mean you, you got the highest score on... Assassin's Creed. What? Who cares about that? Get your flipping talent out of the ground. Go down and start trading with it. We need people in our lives holding us to account. God is trying to put faith in you because faith pleases God. God reveals. God reverses. God rebuilds. God restores. And we see Joseph, you know, goes from, from there into a prison. And let me just tell you, the deeper down, the higher up. He's faithful with Potiphar's wife, and he ends up in a prison, falsely accused. What I love about him is God is testing really deep because most people right there, that's it, I'm, I'm out of here. And they'll, they'll have the testimony, all the atheists and the talk shows. You know, The View, oh, they'd flip and love to interview Joseph on The View. And tell us again how God, you know, Joy Bihar would be going nuts. She's like, tell us again how God let you down. Oh, and you were faithful and you didn't sleep with her and you went to prison anyway. Where is God? Like, I mean, you can just imagine. Well, Joy, the reason I ain't following God, the reason I don't serve God is because he gave me this dream and then all he did was broke my heart. He broke my heart. It would be all over the view. And people go, yeah, that's why I don't put my faith. But he is faithful. The Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. He was faithful to Joseph, in, faithful to the Lord in the prison. And God's like, man, the highest seat of elevation is reserved because in the midst of where it looks like I did not have your back, in the looks, it, when it looks like justice has failed, you're still faithful. You're still loyal. You're still serving. You're wounded, but you keep turning up to church and putting out the cones and putting your orange thing in and waving people into the parking lot, but you're walking through hell. You, you feel like God has abandoned you. You feel like God has forgotten you, but you turn up and you're leading the team and you're sharing the word with the team and you're putting faith into the team when your own heart is broken and you don't even know where God is, but you're still, I'm telling you, the highest elevation is coming your way. It is inevitable. You can take a cork. You can take a cork and you can go to the deepest diving pool and you can put that cork to the bottom of the pool. As soon as you let go, that thing's going to rise to the top. That's what happens when you have that kind of character, that kind of tenacity. God reveals, reverses, rebuilds, restores. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. And Lord, we just ask that, uh, that, that we would... That we would have the, uh, the, the passion, the desire, the devotion today to hold on to you, Lord God. Even when it seems like everything else is being stripped away in our lives, Father, we trust you that unless a grain of wheat, unless a, a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will remain a single seed.
Father, all of us are here because we don't want to be single seeds. We want to, we want to grow and we want to bear much fruit for your glory. But we know that we'll remain a single seed unless we fall to the ground and have a death experience. Fall to the ground and die and then you'll bear much fruit. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that in the midst of our death moments, Father, we realize that you're a God of resurrection. You are the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Church San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.